What a great God we serve. Thankful for him this morning. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for being uh, in the house of the Lord and and uh, getting through this. Got these uh, summertime vacations and boy, I don't know what's up with people getting summertime colds this year, but uh, a lot of a lot of that happening. And keep that stuff away in Jesus' name. Don't need any any of that stuff. But uh, today we'll start um, a new series uh, in our Sunday school class, our discipleship class. And um, so uh, we're going to get into that today. I think this one's going to be pretty good. A lot of these lessons, you know, they kind of help you look at things in a way so that you can just be better at what you do and be better for the Lord. You want to, you know, we all want to be better in our walk with God. And, and sometimes we need to, you know, be told, Hey, this is what the scripture says. And, uh, I can apply this to my life. And, and some of them, you know, they, they're very encouraging and all of them should be encouraging, but some of them, you know, they just have that different thing. It's like, Hey, you're going to make it kind of thing. But some of them are just the mechanics. Hey, here's what you want to be doing. If you're living your life for the Lord, uh, it'll help you along the way, and that's kind of what this this series is. It's more of the mechanics of uh, how do I deal uh, how with situations and things. What should my responses be? Things of that nature. So, looking forward to this. I'm actually flip flopping the lessons, though. Uh, this I'm not starting with lesson one. I'm starting with lesson four. I think they got them in the wrong order. <laughs> As I began to look through them, I said. That don't line up right. I think this one would be the best leadoff hitter. So we're going to start with this one today. Uh, and if you have your Bibles and want to turn with us so you can follow along on the screen, our opening scripture will be Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and verse 5. Um, Isaiah the prophet writing about uh, the suffering of the Lord, things he went through for us. says, Surely he hath borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And so, uh, this lesson series is titled Who's to Blame? But today we're going to talk about Jesus took our blame. Jesus took our blame and uh, the idea is because Jesus Christ took our blame then we must now assume responsibility for our own choices and surrender our lives to him can't throw it off of nobody else we've got to be mature in our walk with God and, and own up you know I tell people all the time I say look if you make a mistake just own it and then you know get by it I said but but trying to cover it up or hide it or pass it off on somebody else. If you did it, you did it. Just own it so you can get better and get by it. And that's part of a uh, spiritual mature walk is that you begin to realize that, hey, I'm going to make mistakes. I shouldn't try to take the heat off me by laying it on somebody else. I should just own my choices and realize, hey, I made a bad choice. Sometimes we do. Uh, I, I, it'd be nice if we never made bad decisions, wouldn't it? be nice if we didn't make the wrong choice sometimes, but we do. And so we, we have to remember that uh, we must, you know, take responsibility for that and then just give our lives to the Lord. He'll help us and take care of us. He's, he's already done it so many times before. So let's pray for our lesson this morning, and then we'll get into this. Lord, we love you so much this morning. Thank you 
for the price you paid for us, that you gave your life. Lord, we thank you. We can never thank you enough. Help us to hear your word today, to be better, to grow through this series, Lord, to, to, to mature and realize that we have to take responsibility for our choices. And Lord, and let us give our life to you. We love you. We praise you. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Would you give him one more hand clap of praise this morning? I'm thankful for what the Lord has done for us. So thankful for him today. Praise God. He's good to us. So Jesus took our blame. We need to, and they had this as our last lesson in the series, but I think that this reminder will help us go through the other three lessons that are in this series. I think starting off remembering, hey, we needed help and we needed someone to step in for us, and he did. And we needed somebody to get us out of our mess, and he did. We needed somebody to save us, and he did. And with that knowledge, that's armed with that knowledge, that's where you learn to start growing and being more like him. Our whole uh, part of walking is to become something that he's going to make us. We want to be more like him. Even in the natural, when he called his disciples, he said, if you follow me, then I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to turn you into something else. But what he was telling them is that for you to be a fisher of men, you will have to be more like me. So he didn't realize he had already caught them. And, and so uh, it was him. They, you know, they, they went, we found the Messiah. We found the ones prophets wrote about. They, they knew already, and as they began to watch him, through those three and a half years of walking with him, they begin to learn this is the way you deal with people. This is the way you, you know, have faith. This is the way you deal with storms. This is the way you deal with impossible situations. They begin to learn by walking with him what it takes to be a fisher of men, that realizing that he had his hands on them that whole time, making them into something better. And that's what uh, we do when we have uh, that knowledge of how the Lord would do things that we can begin to uh, do those same things. Jesus said it, uh, you know, the things I have done, you're going to do, and greater things shall you do. In other words, an expectation of growth in us that we would continue to do and exceed and, and do all that we can for the kingdom, but it would be not on our own, but it would be following his pattern uh, of loving and compassion and long-suffering and patience and faith and, uh, you know, accountability, uh, of obedience, you know, uh, not lifting yourself up, all these things that Jesus did to help us. And so that's why I, I said, I, th I think they put the, the you know, the, the, got the cart and the horse in the wrong place in these uh, lessons here. I, I, I think reminding us of he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Jesus paid an exceeding price for us, and that, uh, and so, uh, going with the thought of the lesson, who's to blame? We were to blame. That's the, in, in, until we can accept that that we've all uh, sinned and come short of the glory of God. That we all needed a savior, still need a savior. Uh, you know, you can never get better if if you if you're good at just laying the blame somewhere. You never get better. We must take our share in everything that's done. Often we would love to just blame, 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 blame uh, people and stuff. And, and maybe sometimes people are to blame. But 
when we were to blame, Jesus just kept silent and did what he had to do. There's a, a saying that for every action, there is a reaction. And that's true. But do you also know that no action is oftentimes the best reaction? <laughs> I don't know about that, Pastor. I think I'd like to tell them a thing or two. I think I'd like to, to, to pull them aside. You know, I'd like to fire back. But most times I can guarantee you that no action is the best reaction. Uh, and, and I have the greatest example. And, and you can't trump my example because when they accused him and beat him and mocked him, they said he answered them not a word. He didn't call angels to come and defend him, but he could have. He said, I could ask my father to get me out of this, but he didn't. He could have let that cup pass by, but he didn't. And so oftentimes for every action, sure, there's a reaction, but no action is still a reaction. Scripture tells us, you know, not to uh, be overcome with evil, but to overcome evil with good. Don't, don't pay evil back for evil, but you overcome evil with good. Sometimes the good thing to do is just, you know, not do anything. And, and let God take care of it. He said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So uh, we need to remember those things sometimes. Being selfless is not something that you see a lot in this day and hour. Taking on uh, something or, or stepping in. Every once in a while we hear heroic stories. But just not as often probably as we did in times past. And that's just because of the condition of the world. Most people are out to just save themselves and take care of themselves, but there are still stories that through history that we read about where people uh, were willing to give their lives so somebody else could live willingly. Uh, a lot of you younger people here were not alive in 1986. I forget who I was talking to the other day. I said, I graduated in 86, and he was like, I was being born. I was like, <laughs> oh, I got to stop telling people when I graduated. So, but in 1986, April of 96, uh, or 86, there was a great, actually the worst nuclear power plant disaster uh, in history at Chernobyl. A great explosion, a couple of explosions, and uh, many people were killed in the blast, and then many more died. I think 49 workers died later on, months later, because of radioactivity exposure. But the problem was there was another reactor, and they were worried about that reactor uh, exploding and said it would be worse than uh, the first one and so the only way to prevent that was to drain the cooling pool that was under the reactor but to do that you would have to go into a place with extremely high levels of radiation and it would be uh, you would have to find the valves open the valves and it would just basically be a true suicide mission because if you did survive they said the high levels of radioactivity would kill you but they had two workers and one soldier volunteered said, we'll go do it. Uh, we will go into that pool, find those valves, let this out because we don't want the rest of the world to suffer or even especially our country right here. The Russian government even told them, said, we will make sure that your families are cared for from now on you, for them doing this. They were you know, deemed as heroes for doing what they would do. And so they did. They went and they did it and actually finally found the valves, got the pool drained, avoided the, the next explosion. Uh, the great part about this is, is that none of these men died from radioactivity poison. They actually lived longer lives than, you know, than 
anybody thought they would, but that's not the point. The point is, is that they were willing to give their life so others could live. And so that's a great, uh, you, you just don't hear that very much anymore. You know, sometimes we do, and it's great when we see stories of people, you know, just self-sacrifice, you know, it would just do something to protect somebody, but you just don't hear it very often. It's, it's very uncommon, uh, but it's even more uncommon when the person is the hero, nobody likes him. You know, usually you think everybody likes the hero, but everybody don't always like the hero. And so sometimes to find someone that would give their life for somebody, it's, it's not even, it's always been like that. It's just not a very common thing. It takes a special person. In Romans chapter 5, Paul wrote about this. Uh, in Romans 5, verses 6 through 8, he said, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. He died for those who were unlike him. He knew we were the exact opposite. We were uh, everything. It wasn't that God didn't love people. He just did not love their deeds. He did not love where they were. He did not love the things that they were born into. And then it said, for scarcely for a righteous man will somebody die. And yet, peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. So we weren't even in that category, he said. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And so we see that Jesus, uh, being that perfect, spotless Lamb of God, gave his life for us when we certainly were not worthy of it, not deserving of those things. We were, but we were his creation, and we were without an answer. There was nothing that you and I could do to, to rectify this situation and so we needed that Savior. We needed somebody that could come and wash us from our sins, could save us from our faults, and he did. Aren't you thankful today that he did that? Uh, and, uh, and he did that because we were to be blamed. He was blameless. You think about uh, the last hours of his life, how they came, you know, arrested him unjustly, tried him uh, just ridiculous, uh, just threw a court together, pulled people in, false witnesses, testifying against him, all these things, uh, you know, and he had done nothing. They couldn't even, the witnesses they brought in couldn't even get together on their stories. They couldn't even, they couldn't even lie good enough to, to make it convincing. And so, uh, you know, Pilate's wife, even Pilate, uh, he said, I find no fault in him. His wife was like, leave this man alone. He's a righteous man. Don't have nothing to do with him. And even uh, Herod, who had had John the Baptist uh, beheaded, said, hey, you know, he's innocent. I don't find anything. I know, you, you know, the Jews, I know y'all are upset with him, but I don't find anything worthy of death in him. Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. Uh, you know, nothing could be found wrong in him. But the people just said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so the death of this innocent man was a great injustice, but it was still justice. It was an injustice to him, but it was justice because uh, this innocent man had drank from the cup. You remember his prayer in the garden? He, he began to talk about the cup. And, and so how does that innocent man drinking from this cup uh, make him, you know, 
uh, or cause a death of something to him that was, how, how is that justice? Because he was still innocent. But when he took on that uh, cross, when he went and drank out of that cup, he knew that he was taking on the sin of the world. He was sinless, but he was taking on the sin of the world. And, and he began to uh, even pray. Uh, he knew it was awful, vile, it was repulsive. He knew it was going to be bad. And he prayed, you know, if it is uh, possible, Lord, just let this cup pass from me. But he said, if it won't pass unless I drink it, he said, your will be done. So even though he understood the severity of what it would mean, he willingly drank from the cup. That's why we read about how he, uh, you know, he was obedient even to the death of the cross because he knew the joy that was going to come after this. The cross would not be joyful, but what was coming later would be. But when you, if you study about times where it mentions the cup. Sometimes it's in different places, the, the cup of salvation. David talked about his cup running over, but many times you will read about the cup of God's wrath, the cup of God's fury. As Jeremiah wrote about that, Isaiah 51 and 17 said, uh, it's the cup of God's fury. And now this innocent man was drinking of the cup. He took upon himself God's fury his hatred against every sin that had been and would be committed. Every crime, every act of adultery, every murder, every lie, every form of gossip and slander. The innocent man, he was the only born man ever. The only man to ever be born that was sinless. He aligned himself with the will of the Father. He said, your will be done. He prayed, and then he drank from the cup. And, and about 700 years prior to that, Isaiah foresaw that suffering and, and wrote the scriptures we started out with, that he was wounded for our transgressions. He began to write about his suffering, but also Isaiah saw that um, why Jesus would suffer. And he didn't just see why he would suffer. He pointed out the person responsible for the death of the innocent man. Us. Even back then, Isaiah, Isaiah didn't know me. He didn't have to know you. But he knew what God was telling him to write, and he, and he pointed to the reason the people responsible for this. It's us. We are the ones who are to blame. We are the guilty party. Isaiah said this in 53 and 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And when we go our own way, that's the way we think is right. There's a way that seemeth right to a man, the scripture says, but the ways thereof end up in death. Well, you know why? Because it's sin. When you start going your own way and you get out from under the covering of the Lord and you go against his word, that's sin and the wages of sin are death. So the, even the scripture says of a backslider, the backslider in heart is full of his own ways. It's a good gauge. That's If you begin to see you just doing your own thing, you may want to check where your heart's at because the backslider in heart is full of his own ways. So we need to remember that. See, these are choices and that we have to own and remember that we were to blame. We were the reason that he had to go to that cross. And so uh, I don't want to go my own way and think that my own righteousness will save me. The Bible says my righteousness is as filthy rags. I don't want to, I don't want to uh, try to make my own path. I, I want to make sure that I'm not rejecting him because when I reject his word, I reject him. You ever, you know, see, we don't think about it like that, but if we reject God's word, we reject him. 
Because you can't say, well, I love you. I just don't want to do what your, Bible, what your word says. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's what the Lord said. And so the way you can't express your love to him in any other fashion except by keeping his word. You know, and he said, well, I'll just tell him I love him. Well, that's offering up, that's scripture because you're offering up the sacrifice of your lips, the praise of your heart. You know, you're still going to have some form of word. You, you can't serve God outside of his word. You can't love him outside of his word. And you can't be saved outside of his word. It's, it's all, we're born again, the scripture says, by the word of God. And so uh, going our own way is it's not a, a very small matter. That's something you need to remember. That when you start misaligning yourself with God's word or just stepping out from under God's word, you're headed for trouble. doesn't matter how born again you are. You cannot keep that lifestyle of, of living for God outside of the word of God and outside of the will of God. Now, Isaiah noted that our rejection of this innocent man of Jesus, uh, he said that he was despised and rejected and we esteemed him not. The innocent, but this innocent man took our place, but we couldn't even look at him. You know, that's how he was hanging on the cross, and all those people, for all, and he was hanging there for all those people. And all they could say was, "If you're really the Son of God, then come off that tree." Even the thief hanging up, "If if you're really the Christ, then save yourself and save us too." And and he saved others; he cannot save himself. You know, we've we've preached that message of. Before, the only man that Jesus could not save was himself. Because if he comes down, you and I are without any hope at all. He must stay in place. He must die on that tree for us to live. And so, just to kind of magnify, everybody's like, man, I just wish you'd quit blaming us. But we were, the, we were to blame. We needed him. Listen to the, in Isaiah 53, as he went down through the verses where our involvement is. In Isaiah 53, and I didn't give you these scriptures, sis, I'm just going verse by verse. In verse 4, it says he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. In verse 5, he was pierced through for our transgressions. Verse 5, he was crushed for our iniquities. He was chastened for our well-being. He was scourged for our healing. And then verse 6, it says he took on the iniquity of us all, Verse 8, he was stricken for our transgression. Verse 11, he will bear our iniquities. And verse 12, he bore the sin of many. None of that, he wasn't beat for his sin. He, he, he didn't carry his grief. He didn't carry his sorrow. It wasn't his transgressions, iniquities. It wasn't for his well-being. It was all on us. And it's because he loves us. It's that we're his greatest creation, and he loved his creation. We're created in his image, but he loves us too much to leave us in this condition that we were. And he knew, I'll have to go for all the things they've done. And, and hey, he knows the end from the beginning. So I wasn't born yet. It doesn't matter. He still knew what you would do. <laughs> you know, when, when he's hanging on the tree, he still knows what you would do when you're 16, 17, or 18. He knew it. He already knew. You know, I don't want to think about that. Exactly. We were to blame. We were the reason he was on that tree. And uh, these were our sins, our iniquities, our transgressions. He took all of them, and the Bible says that we despised him. Now, 
that sounds difficult. We're like, I, well, I've never despised the Lord. You know, we, we, we like think maybe somebody else did. I might have been a sinner, but I didn't despise the Lord. But our despising is not in facing him and telling him off. Our despising is the, the turning from his word to not honoring him, not reverencing him, not worshiping him, not being what we were created to be. And so uh, if we're going to lay claim to the fact that, well, he, buried, he carried my sorrows, he carried my grief, he, he took on my transgressions, then you, then you have to also own up the part that, hey, I esteemed him not because it's all in the same scripture. And that was our role. We knew, he knew that humanity uh, you know, would turn their back on him. And friend, as much as we may have heard, you know, we had people that maybe served the Lord in our life, parents and grandparents that prayed for us and tried to straighten us out and things like that. But friend, I'm telling you, many times we made the choices and the choices we made were just proving that we were turning our back on him. So it was just a bad choice. It was. But when you make those choices, you turn away from him. You you esteem him not. If, If we... Esteem, one writer said, I esteem the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. In other words, I would rather have his word than eat. I'd rather starve to death naturally than starve to death spiritually. I would rather live my life for God and die of hunger than I would turn my back on his word. And so whenever we make those little hiccups and mistakes, it was a choice, number one. Nobody made us do it. You know, that, that's the thing. We get, well, you know, it's just like two kids. You come up to them, one kid's standing there with a bloody nose, and the other one standing there with his fist balled up. And you're like, okay, what went on here? Well, he hit me. And the other kid with his fist balled up said, well, he made me. Oh, how did he make you? He stuck his tongue out at me. And that made you, that, that made you punch him? Yes. But it was a choice. They don't realize. They don't get it. That it's a choice that, that he could just said, you know what? You're stupid. <laughs> you, look, you know, look at you, with your tongue sticking out, whatever. You know, but kids are not going to do that. They ain't learned that yet. Too bad some adults haven't learned that yet. Yeah, well, I'll, 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 I'll digress. I will move on. Uh, <laughs> let me uh, continue. Um, but it, it's the fact that it's, you know, we, we've said that. You know we have. Uh, you know, Somebody made you mad. You, you, man, all of a sudden something flew out of your mouth. Well, they made me. No, they didn't make you. Every action, there's a reaction. Sometimes no action is the best reaction. And that's what I'm trying to say is that because you, you get, and, you know, and then what happens is that all of a sudden you do that and somebody that you know and, and they know you and they saw you do it and they're like, ooh. Because you're so out of character of what you just did. And now you want to blame it on somebody else so you don't look like the bad guy. But you did it. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're sitting at a red light one day and, and somebody bumps your car and you turn around and fly off at them. And then you look in the other lane and there's, you know, there, there's somebody from your church going. Because you're outside. What happened? Oh, they made they hit my car and they made me fly. You know, we've all done it. All the big ones, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. 
I tell you what, he, he's guilty of a lot of stuff. But I tell you, there's a lot of stuff been thrown on him. <laughs> he didn't have no part in. <laughs> you know, it's funny. He, but he's a good scapegoat because he's so wicked and evil. They just throw it on him. You know, it was our own flesh and blood ignorance. You know, our, our, we just gave into the flesh. We just bypassed the voice of the Holy Ghost and went crazy. And, uh, and it happens. We have to own it. We have to own it. If uh, time, they must be possessed. Why? That's human nature, man. People are crazy. So you know that. Look at this world today. People just fly off, man. It's not always about that. It's about making a choice. Sometimes, we, you know, we get in places where it's the straw that broke the camel's back. I just couldn't take no more. Well, you see, you see, people think when a pastor says stuff like this, well, you can say that, Pastor, because, hey, you know, you're a pastor and you've got this in with God. I, I wish there was a scripture for that. But uh, unfortunately, I still have to fight all the same things that everybody else fights. Hey, a wolf will kill a pastor as quickly as he'll kill a sheep. Yeah. A lion seeking who he can devour. If a lion comes in the camp, if hey, if he can't get to the sheep, man, he might just come up and jump on the pastor. Yeah. So that even scripture says smite the yeah, smite the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. So so don't ever think that anybody in ministry has just got this special end with God that they don't go through stuff. And we have to learn how to navigate through it just like anybody else. And we have to learn what our reaction is going to be. And number one, you know, hey, you just don't throw blame around so you can feel like, whew, okay, nobody's looking at me anymore. We, we have to really realize that, hey, I don't have to. It, well, that was so awful. Yes, it was awful. But I do believe that there's a place in the spirit because the Bible says there is that I can mortify the deeds of the flesh through the spirit and that I can react in the way I should react. One question in this book today said, what, when somebody does us wrong, what should be our response instead of blame? And I just remembered what the Lord said. Pray for them who despitefully use you. You mean don't slap them? Don't post about them. <laughs> oh, I, that was the ding, 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 ding. That was yeah. Don't don't post about them. Don't text about them. Don't talk to nobody else about them. He said, pray for them. If they despitefully use you, pray for them. I, Jesus said it. So maybe you think because it's coming out of my mouth, it sounds ridiculous, but. Jesus said it. I'm just repeating him. And so that's how you stay right with God. That's how you stay in the right place with the Lord. You just learn, hey, people are people. Life is life. We all, all, all make bad choices, make bad decisions. But we can't blame other people for where we are, for what we've done. It's simply us. Nobody, we're not puppets. Nobody has control over us. We make the decision. Anyway, so, uh, you know, nobody wants to accept responsibility for terrible, bad things, especially not rejecting the Lord. But it's clear 
that we were responsible because we are the rejectors, but we're also the recipients. That's the great part. We rejected him, we despised him, we esteemed him not, but we are the recipients of the greatest grace ever given. And because we are such great recipients of that grace, we should also extend that grace. Freely we have received, freely we should give. Yeah, it's, it, hey, it's better to give than to receive. And so, you know, when we can give out the grace that God gave us, because when we should have been blamed, he didn't blame us. And maybe when somebody else should be to blame, even or we feel like they should be, maybe we should just extend grace and realize that, hey, you know, Jesus hung on the cross, and they thought they were really doing the right thing. We're squashing this movement. You know, they, they were sure this will be the end of it. He'll be dead. His little group of believers, they'll scatter off. Things will get back to normal. We'll have it. It'll be over with. And so they laughed at him. They mocked him. They, he's not coming down, so he's really not who he said he was because if he really was the son of God, if he had all this power, he would come off of that cross. He would do something miraculous right now. He's not going to do it. He's not doing it. Okay, now he's dead. He wasn't nobody. But before he died, he said, Father, forgive them. Well, they know not what they do. They have no idea what they're doing. And, they, and you know what? They didn't have any idea what he was doing either. That was the thing. They had no idea that that, that blood that was pouring out of his body would forgive them for what they had just done. It would forgive the man that pierced his side. It would forgive the man that drove the nails through his hands and his feet. It would forgive those that punched him in the face, stuck a crown of thorns on his head, all those that cursed him and mocked him and said ugly things about him. That blood was for their forgiveness. How many of those people were there on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 souls were added to the church? How many people from Calvary's Hill, how many spectators, how many that had a curse in their mouth one day were repenting on that day and the Lord forgave them? Well, I know they were there. Because Peter said, this same Jesus that you crucified, <laughs> he knew who he was talking to, is both Lord and Christ. And they said, what can we do? We have made a mistake. What can we do? Anyway, I'm, I'm now I'm, I'm getting off onto a salvation message. And I've got to keep talking about this. Jesus ransomed us, and he took our place. He took our place. That should have been us, but it wasn't. It should have happened to us, but it didn't. It happened to him because of us. He did not take our rejection personally. That's something. He didn't reject us because we rejected him. Instead, he loved us and gave himself for us, is what Paul said. Uh, he could have laid blame on us, but instead he took our blame. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, it says, uh, I think I gave you that, for he, talking about the Lord, had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, so we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He was made to be sin. He was made out to be what we were. He carried our sins. He took that so that we could be the righteousness of God in him. Somebody had to take the blame, and he took the blame. He became uh, our mediator. God manifest in the flesh. Jesus Christ became our mediator. He became the one. He was the middle person. He just, just like Moses standing in between God and Israel so that God would not wipe them out. It, Jesus stood there uh, as a mediator to resolve the man Christ uh, 
to, to get us back into a, a good place with the Lord, to get us back in the right place with God. So, uh, you know, a mediator will handle a dispute between two parties so they can reach uh, a common, you know, thing, uh, an answer. Uh, the Lord said, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be white as snow. He said, God, let's, let's talk about what's happening. Let's talk about the answer. And the answer was Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. That was him. And so Jesus was like our, almost like our defense attorney. And he stood before the judge and said, listen, uh, they uh, are innocent. Uh, my client is innocent. And the reason he could say so was because he had already drank the cup and took our blame and died for our sins. So he could stand there and say that so that we could stand blameless before the Lord. We were to be blamed. He took the blame. And he didn't just take the blame. He took our sin. Paul wrote in Second or 1 Corinthians 6, we know verses 9 through 11 very well. We, we quote it often and, and preach from it just to remind us of where we came from. But he said, don't you know that the unrighteousness or the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves of mankind, not thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, or extortioners. They cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It won't happen. And such were some of you. But you are washed but you are sanctified, but you are justified. Now, when you are justified, it's like you did nothing wrong. You're standing back in the right favor with God. You have been, the Bible says, God in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. To be reconciled is to be brought back into divine favor with God. We are now back where we are supposed to be. And that happened uh, in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. It happens through the new birth experience, being born of water and born of the Spirit, baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues. It's just like it happened in the book of Acts. That's how we're born again, and that's how we become washed, sanctified, and justified. All of that removing what was wrong with us because he said such were some of you. If that's what I was, then I must not be that now. That means there will be no evidence of that now. Shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. We're, old things are passed away. All things are made new. All things are of God. So I was the blame. I was the reason that Jesus went to the cross. It was me. But God, seeing we needed that salvation, the Lamb of God, Jesus was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. The Lord always had a plan, and Jesus Christ came into the world to die, to take our place for our sins. And so that cup that he drank, uh, you know, uh, Brother Shannon, I actually heard your dad preach a great message on that one day uh, about uh, him looking into that cup and talking about just the description that uh, Brother Johnny used that day was just, it was one of those messages that just stick with you. And and so all the things that Jesus knew he was going to have to face, the horrors of his death, the crown of thorns, rejection by humanity, abandoned by his friends, uh, you know, even feeling like he was separated from the Father because sin, iniquity, separates us from God. That's Scripture. And so... God always operates inside of his word. So when, when Jesus cried on the cross, said, you know, why have you forsaken me? Well, he already made a statement 
you know, all men have left me alone, but I'm not alone because the Father's always with me. But he felt what it feels like to be separated from God. He, when all that sin, uh, when it was coming to that fruition, he, he, he felt when he was, because the wages of sin is death, when he was about to die, he felt what sin can do to humanity and what it feels like to not know God and not have God. And, and so he says, why have you forsaken me? It's his flesh crying out. Why have you forsaken me? Because he felt in that moment what it was like to not have a God. Oh, my. I don't want to. He did it for us. He took the blame. And so whatever we think about, well, who's to blame for Jesus going to the cross? And just slowly slip your hand up because it was for us. And he went willingly so that we could have eternal life. I'm thankful that he did. Now, he could have said, hey, look, I'm not to be blamed. It's them. There's no way I'm doing this, but he did. He said he answered not a word. He, they, the pilot and, and, and different one, they would look at him and say, don't you hear all these things they're saying about you? And you don't have nothing to say. Don't you know I could set you free if I wanted to? And he, just, he did answer then and say, you'd have no power over me at all unless it was given you from heaven. It's not given to you. But, but when they would accuse him, he just wouldn't say anything. Because the, the truth don't have to fight. The truth stands on its own. And that's when, when people lie, they can lie all they want to. I tell people all the time, I said, let them lie. I said, it's still a lie. Well, that makes me mad. Well, sure it does, but so what? I said, the truth is the truth. I said, and there's no lie that can change the truth. Uh, and I said, and anybody that knows you knows the truth. So I said, hey, a lie will always burn out. It always burns out. And so uh, Jesus just said, nothing. Because he said, I'm going to do this. Often we are quick to blame other people. Well, it's my mama's fault. It's my daddy's fault. It's my uncle's fault. My grandparents' fault. My neighbor's fault. Oh, it was the church's fault. Yeah. Uh, it was that one particular pastor's fault. Or it's the devil's fault. Everybody else is to be blamed. Seldom we want to take personal responsibility, so we point the finger at other people. We pass the buck, but that renders ourselves helpless at changing anything. Because if you pass it off, you, have, you just lost the power to it. You can't change nothing about it, but not with Jesus. Jesus, the one who knew no sin, the only blameless man, said, I'll take all the blame. I'll take all the sin. I'll be nailed to a tree so you can live forevermore blameless. So, man, just think, Jesus could have just started naming names and what they had done. Well, there's old brother so-and-so, and, yep, he's a murderer. There's sister so-and-so. She's had 28 affairs. I mean, he could just started naming names. He could have done it, but he just didn't say nothing. I'm not going to say anything. He didn't talk about people being drunk or people being high or people stealing or lying or cheating or doing it. He just didn't say nothing he just hung right in there did what he was supposed to do and he saved us by doing it Jesus who knows all of humanity all the attempts of every heart was silent and took the blame and so it was that the blameless man passed no blame he didn't blame anybody else he didn't hang on that tree and say I'm doing this for you 
or because of you. He just did it. And so now knowing that he took our blame, my blame, your blame, all of our blame, that should help us to stop blaming others. Amen? Now, if I had to say amen, that's rare. I never say amen to get a response of it, but it's something I want us to hear as children of the Lord. Listen, what he did for us, we should try to make an example in our own lives that we just stop blaming other people for everything else that's going on in our lives or in the world and just realize, own up to what we do, own up to the choices we make, and, and then extend grace to people just like he did to us. We need to do that. Yes, they did us wrong. And yeah, that should have never happened. But those who have been the recipients of grace should extend grace to others, not because they deserve it and not because they have earned it, but simply because he did it for us. He who did not have to extend grace to us, he did so. And because he did so, then we should do the same thing. Do they deserve? Did we? Did I deserve his grace? Did I deserve his mercy? No, I don't, but he extends it willingly because he knows I have to have it. He knows I need it. Even uh, the gateway of repentance was granted to us. He didn't have to give us a place to repent. But the Bible says when the Gentiles came into it, he said the Jews began to glorify God. said God had granted repentance unto them. He, he allowed them to even confess their faults and turn from their ways and serve him. And he's filled them with his spirit just like he did with us at the beginning. So, so you know, all, even the gateway to, to getting born again was granted to us. It was opened up when Peter preached the message. He had the keys to the kingdom. So pray for those that despitefully use you. It can be hard. Didn't say it was easy. Jesus was in agony while he prayed. The scripture says that he prayed that his sweat began to be like great drops of blood. And, and he groaned in his spirit and he was in agony. And he desperately thought if there's any other way, please. But if not, I'll drink it. I'm thankful today that he did that. I'm sorry that he had to, but I sure am grateful that he did. Let's stand together this morning. You know, I mentioned that there were some, we don't hear very many stories of people just being selfless today, but, but even through all this, the, the people who have become sick with since 2020 with the COVID and different things, there, there are actually some, some stories of people. There was a, a lady in Pittsburgh who she actually changed her will and her medical directive that because they were having a shortage of ventilators and she told the hospital, she said, I don't want to be put on a ventilator. Not because I'm afraid of the ventilator. She said, I don't want to take up a ventilator. She said, I'm older. I've raised my family. I've lived my life. And I don't want to take a ventilator away from some woman with four children or from some young person who's got a life to live. And so she said, if I get to that point, then just let me go. She, she changed her will. She talked to her family or kids about it, and they said they were, they were fine with it. She said, I'm not, I don't want to stop somebody else that has a long life to live. You know, did she just want to die and go? No, but she, she realized there was a need there. 
And I don't know if it ever happened. It's, I read the story, but it didn't tell if it ever had to happen. But, um, you know, people still, there's, there's something in people today. You know, all people are not just rotten, you know. But we all still need the Lord. There's people in this that, that are kind and, you know, would help you out and stuff. But being kind and helping people, you still need the Lord. We've still got to deal with that. So, so let's seek the Lord. And then let's seek to be like him. Don't just seek him and find him and then do nothing with it. But seek to be like him. He took our blame. Extended grace to us. Let's do that to others. How about that? Let's lift our hands and pray this morning. Lord, we love you so much and thankful for the price that you paid, that you took our place on that cross, that you gave your life willingly, Lord, when you didn't have to, but you did it because we needed it. So, Lord, help us as recipients of this great grace whereby we have been saved. Help us to extend grace and mercy to others, to love people, God, and to realize that on our best days, Lord, as good as we can be, it's just vanity without you. We need you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Thank you for what you did. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap in Jesus' name. What a great God. What a great God. So thankful for him today. Praise the Lord. Well, thank you for being in discipleship class. Got a few minutes before the next service. Let's find a place to pray. Get ready for the next service. Brother Doug and Sister Ashley Smith will be here Man, we're looking forward to that. God bless you.